Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 10. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we are studying through the book of Job, and we're going chapter by chapter and learning uh, the book of Job. And in Job chapter 10, uh, we have Job continuing his response. And if you uh, remember, in chapter 9, uh, Job responded uh, or began to respond to Bildad. And in chapter 10, he's continuing that speech. But in chapter 10, there is a, a, a shift in the sense that he's really now addressing God. So in chapter 10, he's talking to God, but it's a continuation of his response to Bildad in chapter 9. And in this chapter, and this is a theme through the book of Job, especially through this section that has to do uh, with conversations between Job and his friends, uh, Job is really just speaking in despair and out of despair. He's in a very dark place in his life. And of course, God gives us this because we can learn from it and he's given it to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, you know, this is a real man that's going through a very difficult time in his life, of course. And he's speaking uh, out of that despair. So I'm going to, uh, I want to give you just uh, three thoughts in regards to this chapter. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these uh, points down. The first thing we see in this chapter is the misery uh, that Job is experiencing. There is misery from God that Job is experiencing. And if you look at verse number one, uh, he says this, and this is kind of the observation that Job makes in his misery. Job chapter 10 and verse one, the Bible says this, my soul is weary of my life. So he, he's just saying, I, I'm tired of, of living. He says, I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And again, he's uh, very uh, just in a dark place. He's despairing of life. He says he's speaking in the bitterness of his soul. He says in verse 2, I will say unto God, do not condemn me. And this is where he kind of shifts his view to God, and now he's addressing God. He says, I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou thou contendest with me. And we'll come back to that here in a minute. But look at verse 3. He says, it is good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands. And he's saying, God, you're oppressing me. He says, I'm the work of your hands. And he's going to talk more about that later in the chapter. And he says, you're despising me. You're despising the work of thine hands. But I want you to notice because... He's, he's speaking in misery, right? This is out of misery. I mean, he's talking about the fact that his soul is, is, is full of bitterness and he's weary of his life. But then he makes this observation, and, there, and this is really the observation of misery. Because whenever we are going through uh, difficult times, hard times, and all of us go through hard times, I don't think any of us will ever go through uh, as hard times as Job uh, has gone through, but we all go through difficult times. And this is an observation that we, especially believers, will often make. And it's found there in verse 3. He says, It is good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands. Then he says this, And shine upon the counsel of the wicked. And this is really the observation that misery often makes. And it is this, that others are doing well while we are not. That others are 
uh, prospering while we are in misery. He says, he says, you're condemning me. He says, I'm complaining. He says, I'm in bitterness of soul. And then he says there at the end of verse three, he says, and you shine upon the counsel of the wicked. And I believe he's talking about his three friends there and the counsel they're given. But he's saying, look, it looks like you're on their side. It looks like they're doing well. You know, right now, it looks like they're right and I'm wrong. You're for them and you're against me. You're shining upon the counsel of the wicked. And of course, Job is not the only one that makes this same observation out of misery. And I want to show it to you. You're there in Job chapter 10. Keep your place there. That's obviously our text for tonight. Go to Psalm 73, if you would. Just one book over, Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, you have the famous Psalm of Asaph that he gave us during a time when he was in a very dark place and discouraged as well. Psalm 73. And I want you to notice, he makes a similar observation. And when we allow ourselves to make this observation, when we allow ourselves during times of trial and troubles and tribulation, when we allow ourselves to make this observation that we look at others and say, God, you're prospering others, you're helping others while you're uh, hurting us. There's also a tendency that comes along with that observation. So there's the observation of misery, which is look at others. And then there's a tendency of misery. And we'll see it here in Psalm 73. Look at verse 1. The Bible says this, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly, notice what, what Asaph says. He says, truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart. So that's a good verse there. He starts with a good attitude. He says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such that are of a clean heart. But then he says this, and this is what depressed people, discouraged people often say. Verse 2, but, right? So he says, well, God's good to other people, but. God's good to Israel, but. God's good uh, to those that are of a clean heart. He says in verse 2, But as for me, contrast, God's good to them, but let me tell you my story. But as for me, he says, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He says, let me tell you about a time when I almost went, when, when I got backslidden and I almost uh, slid out of the, the, the Christian life, out of the walk with God. You say, what happened, Asaph? Look at verse three. He says, for I was envious at the foolish. And this is what Job is saying in Job 10.3. He's looking at the counsel of the wicked. He says, you're shining upon the counsel of the wicked. Here, Asaph says, he says, I was envious at the foolish. He says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. He says in verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And this is, look, whenever we are suffering and we make the observation of misery, which the observation of misery is, why am I miserable and everybody else is happy? Why am I suffering while everybody else is prospering? The tendency then is to make, after that observation, and we see here uh, Asaph, he's saying, look, he says, I was envious at the foolish because I looked over at the, at the wicked and I saw their prosperity. He says, I noticed in verse 5 that they are not in trouble. He says, I'm in trouble, but they're not in trouble. He said, I noticed that they are not plagued like other men. And, and when he says like other men, he means like this guy, like this man. 
He's talking about himself. He says, they're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Notice verse number 11, just for sake of time, we won't. I won't preach through this entire psalm, of course. Look at verse 11. The Bible says this. This is what Asaph says. He says, and they say, talking about the wicked. He says, here's what the wicked say. How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Here's what they're saying. They're saying, we can cheat, we can steal, we can lie, we can, we can do all sorts of things, and God doesn't know. And, and they're even asking the question, how does God know? How would God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Would God know? Would God care? That's what the uh, wicked are saying. Verse 12, he says, Behold, these are the ungodly. This is Asaph. He says, This is what the ungodly say. And then he says this, Who prosper in the world, they increase in riches. And look, at any time in the Christian life, you could look over at the wicked and see and make these same observations. It seems like the wicked live in nicer houses than you and I get to live in. It seems like in the world, when you lie, when you cheat, when you steal, when you are not honest, when you don't take responsibility, when you don't uh, have character integrity, it seems like those people succeed and prosper, and they get the promotions, and, and, and they get to drive the nice vehicles, and they get to live in the nice houses, and, and those of us that are trying to serve God and, and, and love the Lord and, and, and suffer for the cause of Christ, you know, we might look at that and say, man, they don't, they don't get trouble like we get trouble. And they don't get plagued like we get plagued. And the ungodly, they prosper in the world and they increase in riches. And then here's the tendency. When you make that observation, the tendency, when you look at others, the tendency is to say this, it's not worth it. Look at verse 13. Here's what Asaph says. And by the way, this is a backslidden man, okay? We're not taking the good advice from him. This is a man who's, who's not doing well and Job is not doing well. Verse 13, he says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. He says, look, it's not worth it. Here's what he's saying. And, 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 and what, he's, what I'm trying to explain to you is this. When you allow yourself to make the observations of misery, when you allow yourself to make the observation of misery, the tendency will be to say it's not worth it. It's not worth living the Christian life. It's not. Look, the ungodly can prosper out there. And then the Christian's tendency is to think, so I can prosper out there as well. Now, there's a couple of problems with that. And you go back to Job 10, if you would. And, and let me just give you uh, the, these thoughts. Number one, there's always going to be trouble in your life, period. John 16, you don't have to turn there. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you're never going to live a life that doesn't have trials and troubles and problems in it. But let me just say this, and you've heard me say this before, and I, it's, I think it's a common theme of my preaching, but it's this. When you got saved and you became a child of God, you get to live life by different rules. You can go ahead and look at the world and say, well, they cheat and steal, and, and it seems like they prosper, and that may be true, but they're going to die and go to hell. And, and, and you have, if you're saved, a heavenly father who chastens his children, who corrects his children, and you can't go out there. Look, the prodigal son thought, I'll just go out there and have a good time, but he found himself miserable. 
turned around, came back, realized that true joy in life for the Christian is to live for God. God is the end. God is the goal. Walking with God is where we find contentment. But I want you to notice that Job, he's speaking here out of misery. And he makes this observation. He looks at others. And then that observation will take us to this tendency to say, it's not worth it. Now, I'd like you to notice the second thing in this chapter. Not only is Job noticing, not only do we see the misery that God is bringing. And this is what Job thinks, and he's right. The misery that God is bringing. The misery from God that Job is experiencing. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, we see the mystery of God that Job is experiencing. And what I mean by that is that Job is experiencing confusion. We see his confusion. Notice verse 2. He says this, I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Then he says these words. He says, show me wherefore. And the word wherefore means for what reason. He says, show me wherefore. He says, show me For what reason thou contendest with me? And this is Job. And look, Job was a perfect man, not in the sense of the way you and I use the word perfect. He was a sinner and he made mistakes and he had errors. He was perfect, meaning that he was mature and well-balanced. That's what God says about him. He was an upright man, meaning that he walked with integrity and he did right and and he was honest in those things. But Job wasn't, wasn't sinless. And even in this book, we'll see that Job, begins to make uh, make statements about God. He never he never charges God foolishly. We'll even see this in this chapter. He never uh, 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 turns on God, but he does begin to make statements about God. He begins to make assumptions about God. He begins to have these ideas, and they're wrong. And and God will even correct him in this book. But we see his confusion, and we see here in verse two, he's speaking to God, and he says, "Show me wherefore." Thou contendest with me. He says, for what? He says, God, why are you doing this to me? Look at verse 4. Has thou eyes of flesh? Or seest thou as men seeth? And what he's saying is, he's saying, God, are you judging me like a man judges? Because I've got these three men here, and I see how men judge. Men judge outwardly. But he says, God, you're, you're supposed to know me. The inside. He says in verse 5, Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days? Notice verse 6. That thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin. Here's what he's saying. Job is saying to God, God, are you judging me like men judge other men? Because I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do. That the way that men and women, human beings, interact with each other, is we're constantly trying to pick each other apart. Isn't that true? I mean, we're always trying to look at, you know, what's wrong with the other guy? What's wrong with my neighbor? And what's wrong with uh, my uh, employer? And what's wrong uh, with my fellow church member? And what's wrong with my spouse? We're always trying to find what's wrong in other people. Isn't it interesting how it's real obvious what's wrong in everybody else's life, and yet it's very difficult to see what's wrong in our own lives? And human beings, this is what we, we, we're, we're really good 
we're really good at figuring out, you know, what's wrong in your life, and we're really bad at looking in the mirror and taking the beam out of our own eye. And Job, Job is telling God, Job is telling God, God, if you're looking for something, you will find it. And by the way, if you look hard enough at anyone's life, you'll find something they're doing wrong, something, something to criticize them about, something to pick them apart at. And that's what Job is saying. Job is saying, are you acting like a man? God, are you acting like an insecure human being that thou inquirest after my iniquity and searches after my sin? He said, because what Job is saying is this. He's saying, he's saying, I'm not perfect, God. I'm not perfect in the sense that you and I use the word perfect. I'm not without error. If you're going to uh, look for something, You'll find it. See, Job is confused. We see his confusion here. And he's saying to God, God, are you picking on me? Are you picking me apart? Are you trying to find something against me? And then he says this in verse 7. Thou knowest. Thou knowest that I am not wicked. And there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. This is what Job is saying to God. Job is saying to God, God, if you want to find something to pick me apart with, you're going to find it just like these three friends of mine, these so-called friends. But he says, you know, God, that I am not wicked. And what Job is saying, he's saying, I'm not perfect. But there's no major sin in my life that would bring about the amount of trouble that has came to my life. He says in verse 8, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou dost destroy me. And here's why Job's confused. He's confused by what has not been explained to him. Notice verse 15. He says, if I be wicked. Now he just told us he's not. He, said, he just said to God, thou knowest that I'm not wicked. But in verse 15, he says, if I be wicked, woe unto me. And if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. He says, I am full of confusion. Therefore, see thou mine affliction. Job says, Job says, I am so confused, God. I'm so confused. And here's why he's saying, he said, I'm confused because I'm not wicked. I, I haven't done something to deserve this. And I've got these guys telling me that I'm wicked and I deserve this and my children are wicked and everything that's happening is a result of my life. And Job says, I'm confused. And please understand this. Uh, in fact, uh, go with me to 2 Corinthians, if you would, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First, and 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Job, we see his confusion. We see the mystery of God that Job is experiencing and we see his confusion in that mystery because of what is not explained to him. Because you and I have something that Job did not have. You know what it is? The book of Job. Job did not have the book of Job. Job did not get to read the first two chapters of his own book and say, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Job is just living through this, and no one has taken the time to explain to Job what you, what's going on. And by the way, let me just say this. Even at the end of the book, God never explains to Job. Job, let me tell you what happened in chapters 1 and 2 of, the, of your life. <laughs> he never gets the explanation. And Job is confused by what has not been explained to him. And this is a common theme in Scripture. You're there in 2 Corinthians, go, go to chapter 7, excuse me. I, I might have said 5, but I'm gonna, we're going to go to 5 in a second, but go to chapter 7. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7. Why don't you notice the, the New Testament version of Job, Paul. Paul who served the Lord and loved the Lord. I want you to notice that Paul did not have an easy life either. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, he says, For when we were come into Macedonia, he said, our flesh had no rest. He, he said, I, I didn't, we didn't get any, any rest. He said, why, why didn't you get any rest, Paul? He says, but we were troubled on every side. The word troubled means surrounded by problems. He says, we were, we were surrounded by problems on every side. He said, but we were troubled on every side. Notice these words. He says, without were fightings, within were fears. You ever felt like that? Without were struggles and issues and, and, and battles that needed to be fought. But sometimes in the midst of the fight, you know, sometimes as a pastor, as a preacher, you know, you lead a church through some major fight or some issue, and, and, and that's what we're supposed to do, and that's what God has called us to do, and we do our best to walk in faith. But you know what Paul says? Hey, sometimes when there are fights within, without, there are fears within. He says, without were fightings, within were fears. You say, why, Paul? He says, because we are troubled on every side. And then he says this. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go go to chapter 4. Because it it has the same theme, being troubled on every side. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says this. We are troubled. This is Paul speaking. We are troubled. Just like he said in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. He said, we are troubled on every side. Surrounded by problems. Encompassed by problems. We are troubled on every side. And then he says this, yet not distressed. The word distressed means to suffer, to have anxiety, to experience stress. He says, he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Then he says this, we are perplexed, but not in despair. The word perplexed means confused. He says, Paul says, I'll be honest with you. I'm a little confused as to what's happening. He says, but, but I'm not in despair. The word despair means to be without hope. And that's really where Job is right now. He's kind of without hope. He's in despair. But, but Paul says, Paul says, because remember, Paul had what Job didn't have. Paul has the book of Job. And Paul says, hey, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm confused. I'm a little disoriented. I'm not really sure what's going to happen here. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. He says, we're not without hope. He says, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And those two phrases there, cast down, means the, the way you and I would say that uh, today, cast down, but not destroyed. We say, you know, we got knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We're not done. But I want you to notice there that Paul says, Paul says we are perplexed. Paul says we're confused. We're not sure what's happening. And please understand this. Job and Paul and you and me at times will be confused in the Christian life. You say, why? We will be confused by what is not explained to us. But in our confusion... We must remember our calling. You say, what is our calling? Well, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says this. This is the calling of every believer. 
for we walk by faith. I mean, you can sum up the Christian life right there. For we walk by faith. How do you get saved? By faith. How do you live for God? By faith. How do you tithe? By faith. How do you do what God has called you to do? How do you uh, run your marriage the way God has told you to run your marriage or raise your children the way God has told you to raise your children or do whatever whatever it is? How do we do it? By faith. He says, for we walk by faith. And, and look, when we say that, hey, we got to walk by faith. We all say, amen, praise the Lord. We walk by faith. But then, Joe, but then Paul says, let me explain what that means though, okay? For we walk by faith. He says, here's what that means. He says, and not by sight. Because he's faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And here's what you need to understand. Our calling, our calling is to live by faith, not an explanation. Do you understand that? See, we walk by faith. You say, amen. That means that sometimes you're not going to see the whole picture. You're not going to understand all of it. In fact, God has called us to walk by faith and not by sight. See, we, we experience confusion because of what is not explained to us. Paul says, I'm perplexed because there's some things that I don't really understand. God, you called me to do this. You told me to go there. You told me to preach this. You told me to do it this way. And it's not working out, is what Job would say. And Job says, I'm confused by what is not explained to me. But please understand this. God has called you and I to walk by faith and not by explanation. And in your life, look, you just got to figure this out. In your life, there will be times when you will have to say, I'm going to do that because that's what God said to do, even if I don't get an explanation for it. Even if nobody ever takes me aside and says, hey, Job, let me explain what's going on here, okay? It's all right. See, Job was experiencing misery. But he was also experiencing mystery. He got misery from God, but he was also just confused. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Go back to Job chapter 10 if you wouldn't. Look at verse 9. Let me give you the third thing we see in this chapter. Not only do we see the mystery from God and we see the mystery of God, but I want you to notice thirdly tonight, the mastery of God. The mastery of God. And what that means, and we kind of talked about this in last week's sermon, is that God is bigger, God is stronger, God is master over you. And whenever we're experiencing God, whenever we experience God's supremacy, God just doing what God wants to do, because look, God will do what God wants. There are sometimes these thoughts we have, and Job has them. Why don't you notice what we think when God is flexing his muscles? And doing what he wills, we and, it, and it's going against us, and it's hurting us, there's usually certain things we think. One thing that we often think is that God has forgotten about us, or that God has forgotten how weak we are. You're there in Job chapter 10, look at verse 9, notice what Job says. Job, and remember, he's speaking to God. So he's telling God this. He's, he's saying, remember, as if God has forgotten Remember, I beseech thee. This is Job speaking to God. And keep in mind, he's in despair. Remember, I beseech thee that thou hast made me as the clay. And wilt thou bring me into dust again? 
Job looks up at God and he says, God, will you, can you just remind, he's like, God, I don't, I'm not sure what you're doing. I know I'm miserable and I'm really confused as to what's going on. But would you just remember one thing, God? Would you remember that I'm just dust? He says in verse 10, Has thou not poured me out as milk and curdled me like cheese? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh. Job says, look, God, you're the one that made me. You know I'm a human being. You know I'm not, I'm not metal. I'm not, I'm not iron. He says, you've clothed me with skin and flesh and has fenced me with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. And here's what Job is saying. Job is saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but just if, 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 if there's one thing, one request, will you just remember that I'm a man? There's only so much I can take. And here's what's interesting. The Bible actually responds to Job and tells us that God always remembers that about you and I. In fact, there's a very same famous psalm in regards to this. Let's look at it real quickly. Psalm 103. You're there in Job. Just flip over to Psalm 103. Psalm 103 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Psalm 103, 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Psalm 103, look at verse 14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. You know that God never forgets who you are? And God never forgets what you can handle. In fact, the Bible says, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And it says, But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God says, I will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. God says, look, I won't give you more than you can handle. And, 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 and we often look at that and say, okay, God, well, you messed up. Well, wait a minute. If God is putting you through something, then he must know that you can handle it. And by the way, don't forget the fact that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So if you feel like God has overwhelmed you, maybe you're just not doing it through Christ. Maybe God says, no, no, you can do it through Christ. You may not be, do it, be, be able to do it in yourself, but you can do it through Christ. And Job says, and you can't but feel bad for him, he says, remember I beseech thee, thou hast made me as the clay, and will thou bring me into dust again? And he's saying, God, are you going to kill me? I mean, are you, are you going to finish me off? Is this, is this the end? Go back to Job 10, look at verse 13. Often when God is flexing his muscles in our direction against us, there are certain things that we think. We tend to think that God has forgotten, and we also tend to think that God is picking on us, or that God is playing with us, that God is playing a trick on us. Notice what Job says, verse 13, and these things hast thou hid in thine heart. I know that this is with thee, and we'll, I'll come back to that verse in a minute. Look at verse 14. If I sin, then thou markest me. Notice what he says. He says, you put a mark on me. And thou wilt not acquit. Word acquit is a legal term, meaning to find guiltless or not guilty. Thou wilt not acquit me from mine iniquity. He says, God, you won't find me 
not guilty, although, God, you know that I'm not wicked. And he says, thou markest me. He says, you've marked me. It's like you're uh, targeting me. It's like you're picking on me. Look at verse 15. He says, if I be wicked, woe unto me. He says, look, if I was wicked, I'd be, I'd say, fine, you know, I'll, I'll take it. And if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. I am full of confusion. Therefore, uh, see thou mine affliction. Notice verse 16. He says, for it increaseth. Notice these words. Thou huntest me as a fierce lion. This is is Job speaking to God, and he's saying, God, I feel like you're the lion and I'm the prey. I, I feel like you're picking on me, God, like you put a target on me. Thou huntest me as a fierce lion, and again thou showest thyself marvelous. The word marvelous means to cause great wonder, extraordinary, upon me. He says in verse 17, Thou renewest thy witness against me and increasest thine indignation upon me, changes and war are against me. And here's all I'm saying. You and I may not say it out loud, but oftentimes when we are suffering misery and we are experiencing mystery at the mastery and the marvelous works of God, we often tend to think, like Job thought, God, do you remember who I am? Do you remember how much I can handle? And then he says, God... Are you picking on me? Are you, you're like a lion and I'm the prey. You're, you're, you're renewing your witness against me. You're increasing thine indignation upon me. And look, Job's not the only one who's felt like this. You and I probably felt like this, but in the Bible, there's another example of someone kind of wording these same thoughts. Go to Jeremiah just real quickly, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 20. You're there in, in Job, you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 20. And if you remember the prophet Jeremiah, God called Jeremiah and then God told Jeremiah that I'm going to make you a strong wall and a bulwark. He says, I'm going to make you a defense city and I'm going to uh, fight for you. And then Jeremiah preaches God's word and he gets nothing but trouble. He gets thrown in prison. He gets thrown into a dungeon. His family turns on him. Everybody turns on him. They call him unpatriotic. I've heard that one. Jeremiah 20, verse 7. Notice what Jeremiah says. O Lord. Notice what Jeremiah says to God. O Lord. He's speaking to God. O Lord, thou hast deceived me. And I was deceived. Think about that. Here you have one of the greatest prophets. And he says, God, you lied to me. Thou was deceived me and I was deceived. And then he's saying, he's making the same point that Job is making. He says, thou art stronger than I and has prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mock at me. And look, look, at least what you can take from this is that great men in the Bible have all dealt with misery. They've all been discouraged. He says, he says in verse number 8, For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. I was talking about being ridiculed and mocked at. And then he quits. Look at this in verse 9. This makes me feel better like a preacher as a preacher, because there's been times that I've wanted to quit. Then said I, then I said, excuse me, notice what he says, I will not make mention of him. 
nor speak anymore in his name. Jeremiah says, I quit, God. You know what? I'm done talking about you. I'm done preaching your message. I'm done. And of course, Jeremiah didn't quit. In fact, later on in that same verse, he says, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. But I want you to notice that sometimes people feel like, sometimes you may feel like God's picking on you. And Jeremiah even says, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. The word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision. It feels like God's picking on him. Go back to Job chapter 10. In verses 18 and 19, we continue to see what Job has been doing this whole time, and it's just kind of falling back into despair. In verse 18, he says, Wherefore? Wherefore, for, and that word wherefore means for what reason? He says, wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Job is speaking to God. He says, why did, you even, why, did, why did you even have me be born, God? He says, oh, that I had given up the ghost and no eye had seen me. I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. He says, God, I wish I would have just died in the womb. Nobody would have seen me. So we see that Job is in a pretty low place in his life. And because he's experiencing misery, and I think we would all agree that uh, Job is experiencing some misery. He's in despair. And because he's experiencing mystery, he's confused because no one, God, has not explained to him what is going on. And by the way, no one's going to explain to him what is going on because we've been called to walk by faith and not by explanations. And then Job acknowledges the mastery of God. That God's like a lion and he's like the prey. That God has marked him. That God is stronger. Same thing that, uh, that Jeremiah says, you're stronger than I. He says, you're going to destroy me. You're going to kill me. Why did you even let me live? Because when we get to this place, there's certain things that we think. We think God has forgotten. And we think that God is playing with us. But I want to end with kind of just two thoughts that contrasts this idea of what we think. Because you and I think a lot of things. But there's also what God knows. And I want you to notice that Job did bring this up in his little rant here. And he acknowledges that God knows more. And he remembers that God knows more. Job chapter 10, look at verse 13. This is Job speaking to God. He says, And these things hast thou hid in thine heart, I know that it is with thee. And this is in the midst of Job explaining, I am confused, God. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure why you're doing this. Wherefore, tell me why thou contendest with me. But then he says, and these things hast thou hid in thine heart. I know that it is with thee. Here's what Job is saying. Job is saying, God, I know you have the answer. God, I know you know what you're doing. You're just not telling me what you're doing. And then he says, he says this, this is probably the saddest part of this Chapter, verse 20. Just like Jeremiah, Job quits. Look at verse 20. Are not my days few? Are not my days few? Excuse me. Then he says this. Notice these words. He's speaking to God. Cease. Cease then. And let me alone. 
that I may take comfort a little. Before I go, whence I shall not return even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, and the land of darkness is darkness itself, and of the shadow of death without any order, and where the light is as darkness. I want you to notice that in verse 20, and I don't know if you, if you caught this, but, but this is what Job, Job said. Job is looking at God, and here's what he says to, jo, to God. He says, God, stop. Cease. And then he says this, and let me alone. This is what Job says to God. Job says to God, God, I don't think you remember who I am. I don't think you remember that I'm just a person. I'm just a human being. I'm just made out of dust, out of flesh and bones. I don't think you understand, or maybe it's worse. You do understand, and you're just being a bully. You're just picking on me. You're like a lion, and I'm the prey. And then Job says these words. He says, God, leave me alone. Just go away, God. I want you to leave me alone. See, you and I must remember that God knows more, right? Job 10, 13. But we should also be thankful that God knows better. Because at this moment, if God, at this moment, if God would have walked away from Job, if God would have said, okay, Job, I'll leave you alone. Okay, I'll stop. Now, here's the thing. God didn't stop. God didn't leave him alone. But see, God knew better than Job. Because if God would have walked out on Job at this moment, Job 10, 20, when Job says to God, cease then and let me alone. God, I I just want you to leave me alone. Just get out of my life. If God would have walked out on Job, like Job requested, Job would have missed out on some things. See, Job never got an explanation, but you know what he did get? He He got vindication. At the end of the book, God vindicates him before his friends, does he not? You know what Job gets at the end of the book? Ten more children that God blessed him and his wife with. You know what Job gets at the end of the book? God restores him and doubles his wealth. You know what Job, see, if God would have listened to Job when Job says, cease then and let me alone, God, get out of my life. God would have said, okay, Job. Job would have missed out. Job would have missed out on all the rewards that he'd earned in heaven. Job would have missed out on the honor that God has heaped upon his name for centuries. You and I are talking about Job right now. Because God not only knew more, he knew better. And sometimes Jeremiah will quit. And sometimes Elijah will quit. And sometimes Moses will quit. And sometimes they'll even say, God killed me. And Job says, God killed me. And Job even quits on God. But we ought to be thankful that God knows better and God doesn't quit on us. Because Job would have missed out on all sorts of blessings. Job would have missed out on all the things that God had for him. So here's the point and here's the application. Here's the point of the sermon. It's this. You and I don't get explanations from God. Remember last week's sermon? God doesn't owe you an answer. God doesn't owe you anything. But you and I can always, by faith, believe the word of God, especially when God says this, that all things work together for good. That doesn't mean that all things are good, but that God can work all things together for good 
to them who are the called, to those that love God, who are called according to his purpose. See, here's what you need to understand. God can work all things out for his agenda. And by the way, it's his agenda. God, why are you doing this to Job? See, Job never got an explanation. But if Job would have got an explanation, here's what God would have said. I'm having you go, go through all this, Job, because you're going to be a book of the Bible, because you're going to be an example for men and women that come after you. You're going to be a blessing to a man named Paul who says, I am perplexed, but I'm not in despair, because I know that God has a plan. I know that God has a purpose. And I learned that from Job. See, it's always God's agenda. You and I, we need to just realize that we, you have an agenda, I have my agenda, and God has his agenda, and God's agenda is always master over everything else. This afternoon, I, was, I got done with my work a little early, and I spent some time doing some things around the house that needed to get done, and I was thinking to myself, man, I, you know, I don't want to have to do all this stuff, but these are things that we need to do, and, and you know, we always have our agenda, but please understand this, God has his agenda. And God sometimes put things, he puts things in our way, he puts things in our lives, he does things, he brings things, and we might be in misery and mystery, asking ourselves, why are you doing this, God? But just know that God knows more and God knows better. So even when we cry out like Job and say, cease, let me alone, God says, nah, (laughs) I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You're stuck with me, Job, and it'll be for your good. Because Job would have missed out on all sorts of things if God would have answered this prayer. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this chapter, Lord. And, of course, Job is in a dark place. We understand that. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine how Job feels. And we can't really blame him as human beings. I I can't blame him. But Lord, we thank you that you know more and you know better. You know the end. You know what you're doing. You know how you're working it out. And even though we don't get an explanation, and maybe we won't get an explanation on this side of heaven, Help us to always have the faith to know that God knows more and God knows better. And I can trust in God. Lord, I pray you'd help us to remember that during dark times, during confusing times. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.